It's great to see you. Thanks to all the praise team for leading us in worship so far today. Uh, on December 26, 1993, I met a group of people that would change my life. The day I met them, I did not know that they would change my life. I was just meeting a group of people. That was the day I met the pastor search team from Alice Drive Baptist Church. I didn't know that I would spend the next 29 years of my life living in Sumter, South Carolina. I did not know that my youngest child would be born in Sumter. I didn't know that all three of my kids would graduate from high school here in Sumter. I didn't know I would have the greatest adventure that any pastor could ever imagine on December 26, 1993 when I met with that pastor search team. Because when I met with them, my life changed. You ever experienced that? You thought you were just going on a first date and you met the love of your life. I see a couple of you are smiling at each other. A couple of you are frowning at each other and that kind of bothers me a little bit. Maybe, maybe the day your life changed was the day your child was born and your life changed forever. Maybe it was the day that you met your best friend. Here's what I know. There are some days you don't realize your life is about to change because you met someone. And today, we're going to talk about people who met Jesus. What happens to them? We're going to do this over five weeks. We're going to look at five different stories in the Gospel of Luke. I want to encourage you to be here for all five Sundays. If you can't be here, make sure you tune in and watch uh, the different uh, messages because I think it will really help. And the big idea of this series, and you might want to write this down, is when you meet Jesus, everything can change. When you meet Jesus, everything can change. Now notice, not everything will change, but everything has the possibility of changing. A lot of it depends on your response when you meet Jesus. So the first person we want to talk about as we go through the Gospel of Luke is probably the best known of Jesus' disciples, a man named Peter. Uh, you will know that Peter was the leader of the disciples. He became the leader of the, the early Christian movement. He preached the very first sermon about Jesus. He broke through the barrier of the Gentiles uh, becoming followers of Jesus. And, and he lives this amazing life. But he doesn't know any of that is going to happen on the day that he meets Jesus. So if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. While you're going there, uh, let me share with you a little background even though we're talking about Peter meeting Jesus, he actually met Jesus before. Uh, you may remember from the Gospel of John that Andrew, his brother, had met Jesus, goes to Peter and says, we found the Messiah. And so Peter and Jesus meet that day at the Jordan River, but nothing really happens. And then we're told by Luke a little later on that uh, Jesus is ministering in Capernaum. He hears that Peter's mother-in-law is sick. He goes to Peter's house and heals his mother-in-law. And, and even though he meets Jesus, nothing happens that day, which leads us to a very important truth. Meeting Jesus and following Jesus are not the same. Meeting Jesus and following Jesus are not the same. You may have grown up in church and met Jesus. You may have been to summer camp and you met Jesus. You may have, have attended a funeral and thought about Jesus. You may have, have been channel surfing and come across uh, a preacher and you think, yeah, that's about Jesus. I, one day I ought to know something more about him. But, but meeting Jesus and following Jesus are different because following Jesus means you are consciously intending to imitate him. You are consciously intending 
to follow him, to live as he lives, choose as he would choose. It's as if Jesus is doing your life. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So what does it look like as Peter now meets Jesus for the third time? In Luke 5, picking up at verse 1, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So you get the picture. Jesus is walking along the, the lake of Gennesaret. It's also known as the Sea of Galilee. Sea and lake are interchangeable words in Greek. And so they're walking by this lake. There's so many people. It's getting in the way of Jesus actually being able to teach them. And Luke gives us a very important clue here, just something interesting to note. Luke tells us that Jesus is teaching the Word of God. It's Luke's first hint. This is not an ordinary rabbi. He's not just some country preacher. He is actually God's chosen vessel to send and deliver God's Word. They're here, and they can't, he can't communicate. He sees these two fishing boats, one of them belongs to Simon. Now, later on, Jesus will change Simon's name to Peter. I'm going to refer to him as Peter. But when the Bible says Simon and I say Peter, same guy. Everybody with me? You probably know Peter is a fisherman, but he is not the kind of fisherman the way you, some of you, are fishermen, right? Because I know that some of you, when you go fishing, you really don't care if you catch anything or not, right? You, you know, a bad day fishing is better than a good day working, that's the plaque in your garage where your boat is. I know this. Peter is a businessman. He fishes for a living. He goes out every night and he breaks his back hoping for a catch so that he can make enough money to pay off the debt that he owes on the boat, to pay for his equipment, to make sure his partners stay happy. Just think with me. Peter knows all about having to borrow money, take care of equipment, keeping people happy at work. If you've ever owned a small business, or you've got a side hustle, or if you've ever worked at all, Peter understands you. He's a businessman. Jesus, seeing this crowd, says, Peter, can I get in your boat? You push out a little ways. Let me preach to the crowd. And Peter says, okay, sure, you know, no big deal. I'll just interrupt my day. I will put what I am doing aside, cleaning the nets, hold on to that, that becomes important, and I will push out and do this. Here's one of the first things you need to know about what it really means when you meet Jesus and decide to follow him. It means he's going to ask to use what you have. Jesus is going to ask if he can use what you have. He's not asking Peter to do miracles. He's not asking Peter to get up and preach a sermon. He's not asking Peter to die upside down on a cross. Peter will do all of those things, but he's not asking that yet. He's just saying, hey, can I use what you have? Will you let Jesus use what you have? Now that leads to the question, well, what do I have? Real easy answer. You have what God has given you. Because everything you have is a gift from God. 
It didn't just come into your life by accident. And I think you can broadly characterize what God has given you under three headings. First, God has given you a story to share. Someone needs to hear your story. Someone needs to be encouraged by your story. Someone's heart can be touched by your story of how you met Jesus and how Jesus changed your life. Well, you're encouraged by hearing Marcia's story. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Somebody needs to hear your story. Now, maybe your story doesn't have a dramatic twist or turn, but still, I bet there's been a moment in your life when God showed up and you knew it, and you need to tell that story. Second heading, we can talk about what God has given you. God has given you gifts to share. God's given you gifts to share. Now here, I'm thinking about spiritual gifts. In Romans chapter 12, verses six and eight, we're told about different categories of gifts. Some people have the gift of teaching. If you have the gift of teaching, what should you do? Okay, folks, this isn't hard, right? You got the spiritual gift of teaching, you should teach. Lead a small group. Hey, you got the spiritual gift of serving, what should you do? Serve. Did you know that since the start of school, we have had 30 new preschoolers walk through our doors, 30 new elementary students walk through our doors, and 30 new students walk through our doors. We need people to serve. Last Sunday, we had a children's classroom with 17, I think it was second graders. Pray for our servants. And if you love children, serve. Third broad category where we can talk about things we have to share, God's given you resources to share. Every dollar you have, God's put in your pocket. Now some of you are saying, well, wait a minute, I, I work pretty hard for that money. Who gives you the strength to get up and earn that money? Every dollar you have, God has put in your pocket. And if you think about it, isn't it reasonable then for God to say, I want you to share what I have already given you so that others can hear my good news? What percentage should you share with God? Of your resources, of your money, what percentage should you share with God? And will you do it? Can I lovingly ask you what's stopping you? So, whatever you have, when you meet Jesus, let me tell you, he's going to ask to use what you have. Now, the next part of the story, it gets interesting. Verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. Now, because this is in the Bible, we don't realize how funny this is. So here you have the carpenter who finishes teaching, and he says to the fishermen, let's push out a little deeper and go fishing. 
Do you think the fisherman says, hey, wait a minute, Lord, <laughs> you're a great teacher and probably a pretty good carpenter. You don't know nothing about fishing. Remember, Peter does this for a living. Think with me about this. The nets that Peter would have been mending on the shore, cleaning on the shore, were made out of white linen cloth. You put a white net into the lake during the day, the fish will see it, and what will they do? They will swim away. You fish at night when the fish can't see the cloth, when they can't see the linen. And Peter is saying, Lord, we worked all night the way you're supposed to fish, the way that everybody who's ever fished on this lake, our daddies and our granddaddies and our great-granddaddies, we know how to do this, Lord. You don't know nothing about fishing. But give Peter credit. Nevertheless, because you say so, I will do it. Now, this is not exactly what I would call enthusiastic faith. This is not gung-ho, yes, Lord, I believe. This is more, okay, God, I'm going to do this even though I know you're wrong. Do you ever get the feeling that God doesn't understand you? That God doesn't understand your life? You know, Lord, I would forgive them, but you don't understand how they hurt me. Lord, I would, I, I would, I would give my gifts. I would give, I would give money, but Lord, you don't know my bills. Lord, Lord, I would serve, but when it comes Sunday, I'm tired. Lord, Lord, I would share my story, but my story, it's not, it's not great like Marsha's. It's kind of new and lame, so I, there's nobody's going to be helped by my story, Lord, I think. What part of your life do you think God doesn't understand? When you meet Jesus, he asks you to obey without understanding. When you meet Jesus, he asks you to obey before you understand how it all fits together. Our culture says you gotta understand before you obey. Jesus says obey first, understand, come. So, Back on that day, December 26, 1993, not only did I meet the pastor search team, they brought me to Sumter for the very first time. It was cold, it was rainy, it was foggy. That's not Sumter's best look. And they drove me around town, it's really interesting, they drove me to all of these places that had big houses and they said, that, well, we don't have any members that live here, but we wanna show you this part of town. Then, then they drove me to the church. And I don't know how many of you ever, anybody ever in the old building? Okay, a couple of hands I see go up. Do you remember what the old building looked like? It had this, this brown, tan, and purple brick. I think they had a special. Nobody else wanted it. And the interior of the church was done in brown and tan and 1970s green. The linoleum was green. Did you ever see green linoleum? Schools used to use it. And that's kind of the way it felt. And the lighting wasn't great. And it just kind of left you depressed. Now here was, I'm going to confess how shallow I was. I had dreamed of pastoring a church that had red brick, white columns, and a tall steeple. 
like every Baptist church in the South. That was my idea. This did not have red brick, it did not have four white columns, and it did not have a steeple. And can we just agree, it was ugly. It really was. Now, I didn't say this at 8.30 because some of those people are still living. It just was. And I'm so shallow. I'm sitting there going, oh, this is, mm. And so I left, and it was about 10 o'clock at night. I have to drive back to Gaffney, South Carolina, where my in-laws were and where my family was. I'm driving back. I'm saying, God, you don't want me to go to a building that ugly. Isn't that shallow? And, and there was another church in South Carolina that had contacted me, and I actually thought, well, I'm going to go 30 minutes out of my way, and I'm going to drive by it and see what it looks like. Guess what it looked like? Red brick, four columns, steeple. And it was like, ah. I got back to Gaffney, and from about 1.30 to about 4 o'clock in the morning, I prayed and I wrestled. And I said, God, red brick, white columns, steeple. And God kept saying, no, ugly. That's where I want you. God, I don't understand. That's where I want you. My wife came down and said, why are you still up? And I said, I'm wrestling, I'm wrestling. I didn't tell her about the ugly part, not until years later. And about four o'clock in the morning, I got a piece that if this church called me as pastor, I was to come. I'm so glad I obeyed without understanding. I just think about everything I would have missed. I would have missed seeing God change so many lives. I would have missed getting the chance to, to stay just kind of like I did with baptism with Madeline. You know, marry her parents, get to see her and her brother born, now get to baptize her. That's a great thing. A lot of pastors don't get that privilege. I get that privilege. I would have missed so much. But I want to answer one last question a lot of you have. A lot of you have always wondered, why do we have red brick on this building? Now you know. I didn't get the steeple or the white columns, I got the red brick. Okay. Is God asking you today to obey before you understand? Is he put a conviction on your heart you should walk across the street and have a conversation with your neighbor about Jesus? Is he telling you today that you should actually forgive someone even though you're having a hard time understanding why you should? Is he telling you to, to buy the groceries of the person behind you in line, and you don't understand why. Is he even telling you today, I want you to be baptized because your baptism, it could be a witness to someone. So when Peter obeys, he catches the catch of a lifetime. Almost sounds like a fish story, doesn't it? I grew up with people telling fish stories who used to go, I caught a fish this big. Sounds too incredible that the nets begin to tear and break. Peter has to beckon to shore and say, hey, James and John, come over here. We're about to lose this catch. And they come over there. They start to fill the boats. The boats start to sink. What are you missing because you haven't obeyed God? What are you missing because you haven't obeyed God? 
God has a plan for you. God has a future for you. Don't miss it. And when you meet Jesus, not only does he want you to use, not only does he want to use what you have, not only does he challenge you to obey before you understand, but look at what happens in the last part of the story. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Peter's reaction is so amazing. He's got the catch of a lifetime, the catch that every commercial fisherman dreams of. This is a catch to retire on. This is a catch where you can pay off your debts, where you can pay for all the boats and all the money you've borrowed. You can buy out your partners. You've got opportunities now. What does Peter do? He falls to his knees, to Jesus' knees. <laughs> and if you think about it, it's a funny scene. The boat is about 20 feet long, about no more than six feet wide. It's filled with slimy fish, and it's sinking. And Peter's reaction is, I'm going to fall to my knees on these slimy fish, and I'm going to say to Jesus, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. They're not even close to the shore. Peter doesn't know that Jesus can walk on water yet. And yet he's saying, Jesus, get out of my boat. Jesus, I, 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 I'm a sinful man. When you see God doing what only God can do, you realize who you really are. Peter no longer is thinking about himself as being the fisherman, the successful businessman. He's not even thinking of himself as being one of the go-to guys back in Capernaum. He understands who he really is, a sinful man. I don't know about you, maybe it's just a character flaw in me, but when I see God doing something only God can do, my reaction is to get scared. I want to put distance because I am actually afraid if I get too close to God doing what only God can do, what's God going to ask me to do? What's God going to ask from me? I think that's true actually of a lot of people who claim to follow Jesus. We want enough of Jesus to save us and to help us and do miracles for us. But when it gets a little too close to home, whew, Jesus, no, I don't want to take this too seriously. Will you let yourself be amazed by what God is doing? When you see the greatness of God's grace, the greatness of his love and mercy, will you just let yourself be astonished like Peter and Andrew and James and John on that day? Will you let yourself be absolutely amazed? Because don't you see how important this is? Unless you pause and let yourself be amazed, you will start to think you deserve the blessing. Well, I deserve this because of everything I put up with. I deserve this because I work hard. I deserve this because I'm a good person. Here's the harsh truth. I am a sinful man. You are sinful people. 
Everything we have is God's gift to us. And the greatest gift God ever gave us was his son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for our sins and then was resurrected the third day to give us salvation. Folks, we depend on God's grace. That's why you need to pause and praise him. Not just sing a song on Sunday, but you need to live a life of praise saying, God, show me where you are at work. Let me be amazed. And how does Jesus respond to Peter? He does not say, well, you got that right. You are a sinful man, and I'm out of here. See, I I think some of you think that would be what Jesus would say to you. If you really came to him and said, Lord, I am just astonished, you think that God would say, no, just get out of here. I I don't want, I can't use somebody like, no. Jesus says, Peter, don't be afraid. Are you letting your fear govern your following? Are you letting your fear govern your following? Because when you meet Jesus, he invites you to follow. He says to Peter, look, you have been taking live fish and making them dead. I want you to now find some dead people and let's make them alive. I want you to go fishing for people now. But realize this, to follow Jesus, you have to leave something behind. What did Peter leave behind? He left behind the catch of a lifetime. He left behind his boats. I don't know if he still owed money on them. He left behind his nets, the tools of his trade. His partners went with him. They all heard that call, and that day, something profound changed in their lives. Is Jesus asking you to leave something behind so you can follow him? He's asking you to leave behind an old hurt. Is he asking you to leave behind some security? Is he asking you to leave behind even a career? What is Jesus asking you to leave behind so you can follow him? I bet if we could go to heaven instantly and find Peter, and if we could ask him, was it worth it? I bet he'd say, yes, it was. I bet he'd say, yes, it was. Peter, are you sure? I mean, after all, I mean, you kind of come off like an idiot in a lot of the Gospels. I mean, you're not well portrayed. You deny Jesus. I mean, you're constantly trying to correct him. One point, he even calls you Satan. That's not a compliment. Hey, Peter, was it really worth it? I mean, you got put in jail. You had to break through your prejudice. Hey, and Peter, remember, you died being crucified upside down because you thought you were not worthy to be crucified in the same way your Lord was crucified. Was it worthy? What do you think Peter would say? I think his grin would say it all. You know, 28 years ago, I, I, didn't, I didn't know this church would grow like it has. I, 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 I didn't know that we would, we would relocate, build this building. I didn't know we'd become a multi-site church. 
I, I didn't know that I would see hundreds and hundreds of lives changed because of Jesus Christ. I just finally realized I had to follow and let go of some stupid dream about red brick, white columns, and a steeple. Because Jesus said, I want you to follow me and leave behind your dreams and leave behind what you think your preferred future is. I've got something better for you. So let me ask you, is Jesus asking to use what you have? Is Jesus asking you to obey before you understand? Is Jesus asking you to follow him and leave something behind? When you meet Jesus, everything can change if you say yes. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus coming and meeting us and calling us. Use what we have. Give us the courage to obey. Give us the courage to follow. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.